guest this morning. There it is. <laughs> there it is. Uh, no stranger uh, to most of us here at Crossroads. Uh, we have Nick Griffey, now former intern. I can't call him uh, intern anymore, right? Uh, but former intern Nick Griffey has returned uh, to preach God's Word to us. And I just want to say a few uh, things about Nick, and I'll tell you, I'll say, I'll say nice things about him both because they're nice things and because they're true. (laughs) But Nick has modeled, I know for me and for many of us, 1 Timothy 4, verse 12, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And I've watched the Lord as he's journeyed through seminary. He finishes, what, two weeks? Two weeks. Two weeks. He's done. He finishes. And he, I know that's exciting, right? And, and then he can be sent off into all the Lord uh, would have for him. That the Lord has really shaped him and molded him and been working uh, in him. So excited to have him come and preach God's word to us. So I'm going to pray and then I'll hand it over uh, to Nick to feed us a glorious meal from God's word, right? And to feed uh, our souls through God's word. So let's pray together. Father God, I do thank you for Nick. I thank you for the time he's spent uh, with us and the way that he uh, continues to encourage many of us. We pray that you would be with him as he preaches the word to us and give us uh, receptive hearts and minds to all he would have to say through your word. Help him to get out of the way and for your word to be the focus. And I ask that you would be honored in our time together. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Matt. Well, good morning, Crossroads. Oh, come on now. I know I've been away for a while, but we know how this goes. Good morning, Crossroads. Good morning. There we go. That is what I like to hear. Good morning. I am thankful to be able to be back here with you all this morning. Uh, Again, I just want to thank Matt for giving me the opportunity to be able to come back, just be able to teach God's Word, and just be able to share in fellowship with you all. It is just an amazing time. So if you have your Bibles, if you'll flip to Ephesians chapter 2, We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10. So that is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And while I read this, if I could ask if everyone would stand with me. So if you'll stand up while we read God's word. Thank you for that. So Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world. According to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the ones, as others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he has had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might display his immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of us for us to do. This is God's word. You may be seated. Thank you for that. So when looking at today's text, I really want us to kind of ponder a question 
first. And the question I want us to think through is, how often do you feel that you are not good enough to be used by God? I'll ask that again so you can think on that. How often do you feel that you're not good enough to be used by God? Now, you might hear this question and answer and say something like, well, I don't think I'm ever good enough to be used by God. And so what do you do? You kind of just say, I'm going to leave that for the professionals, those that are you know, specifically called or those that are you know, the trained ones. They, they can do the work of God because I'm not good enough. Or maybe you're the opposite. Maybe you think you are the absolute all-star. You are the one, the MVP, the one that, you know, God should be saying, I'm glad you're on my team. Maybe you're that. Maybe you're just, you're, you know, the best. Maybe that's your response to that whenever it comes to that you, you think you are good enough to be used by God. Or maybe you're somewhere in between. But today's text, we're going to be looking at what really is our role when it comes to the kingdom of God. Where are we in this kingdom of God? Do we have to be good enough? Or instead, are we even good at all? So let's get to the verse. Let's look through verses 1 through 3 again. And it said, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as others were also. This first section, I think, clearly states that because of our sin, we are set for death and unable to save ourselves. That's the reality that Paul is telling us here in this first part of Ephesians. Is that because of our sin, we are set for death and unable to save ourselves. That's the reality that we live in. See, Paul here uses the term death very as a very heavy analogy for the consequences of sin. Sin is not something that is light, something that is just, oh, well, I did it, and we move on. But sin is something that actually has a heavy price to it. This death that is given in verses 1 through 2 is not this physical death that we have today, that we think, okay, well, when someone dies. That's not what Paul is talking about, because he's writing to a church who is currently alive. So therefore, he's not talking about a physical death here. But instead, what is he talking about? He's talking about this eternal death, which is separation from God. We are separated from having a relationship with God because of our sin. Paul also uses this term of uh, death in a different place in Romans 6, 23. He says, for the wages of sin is death. That's a heavy price right there. For the wages of sin, what we earned, what we deserve for our sin is death and the separation from God. Now, thankfully, we know the end of the verse is, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. There's hope that comes, and we'll get to that. But in our, in our world now and where we are before Christ is death. It is separated from him. And this verse highlights that. The way that we previously lived according to the world. That we to all previously lived that way. This sin is not something that some people have. Or that only the bad ones deal with sin. But all are sinners. I am a sinner. You are a sinner. And that's a reality that we have to live with after the garden, when sin came into our world and corrupted 
everything. Paul goes on in Romans 3.23 to say, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have fallen short of that mark that God has given us in his perfect and holy law. And from there, we can't measure up. We have fallen short. It shouldn't be much of a surprise to us if we look at the world today to see that the world is corrupt. The world has been tainted by sin. You just have to walk out those doors and just look and see. Flip on the news. Drive down the street. Even in your own home sometimes, you can just see the corruption of sin is there. And it's heavy. This is not something that is light. This is not something that we should take for granted, but instead, this is a real and pertinent reality to us here. We are all sinners. That's where we are. And because of this, we deserve God's wrath. That's, that's where we're at. That's where I, I am, and that's where you are, and that's where the world around us is. That because of this sin that we have, because of this disobedience to God that we all have. We deserve God's wrath. Because the one that's dead can't save himself. A dead man can't bring himself back to life. That's not how this works. And that's the picture that Paul is trying to tell. That's how serious this nature of sin is. And that's something heavy that I want us to understand. That we are Sinners and deserve death, separation from God forever. This is a heavy thing to be sitting through and that we can't do a thing about it. And that's a scary reality to be in. That that is what awaits us. That in, in, the, in the end, if no one intervened, we deserve eternal separation from God, who is life. But thankfully, this is not where this verse ends. Thankfully, we have the next verses. So let me read verse 4 real quick. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. What an amazing verse to follow this up with. Anytime you see those two words, those two amazing words, but God, something important is going to happen. And here, this is an amazing thing that God has done. I just spent a bunch of time telling us how, how bad we are, how unable we are to save ourselves. But God. How amazing that is, that he would care for us. He would love us. You see, because of the mercy of God, we can have life. Through Christ. See, what he does in verse 4 is he changes the script. Paul is telling of this sad reality that the world lives in, and he says, It's not over yet. Because God, in his great love and mercy, has intervened. God has sent his son to come into the world to live the perfect life that we are not able to live. And not only just live the life that we were able to, but yet to die on the cross for our sins, for our disobedience. Christ, who was perfect, 
stood in our place. And there, not only did he stay on the cross for our death, but was died, was buried. And thankfully, the story doesn't end there because he was raised to life and he defeats sin and defeat death. So that now we have the ability to have life through him because we were dead and we couldn't do a thing about it. But God gave us life through Christ. God is so good. God is so merciful. I want you to hear something from the Lamentations 3, 22 through 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I love that verse because it just tells us the God who we follow, the God who we serve, the one who, while is right to judge us, who is right to give us death in separation from him, who is right to judge us, is yet loving, is yet merciful, is yet kind. Great is his faithfulness. How amazing that is that God has done that for us. That we see in verse, verse 5, he's made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. That verse and this section causes Paul in verse, at the end of verse 5 to say, you are saved by grace. That exclamation point, I just see Paul right here just screaming into the text with just such joy, saying, you are saved by grace. Oh, how great it is that what God has done. It's just an amazing thing for us to reflect on. John talks about this as well in a a very well-known verse that most of you probably know, but I'm going to read it for you anyway. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is the God that we follow, who loved us so much, who loved his people, that he would send the son to die on the cross for us. That's where we are. That while we had nothing good in us originally, God said, doesn't matter. I love you anyway and will send his son to die for us. How merciful of a God who says, I can judge you with all the wrath that is deserved. And yet at the same time says, I'll hold it because I love you because I am mercy. This is who we're talking about. This is who Paul is writing about. This God who is faithful, who is loving, who is merciful. How amazing that is. He continues on in verses 6 and 7. He says, He also raised, raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. See, it it doesn't just end with Christ's death and resurrection. But yet he was raised to the heavens to sit at the right hand of God where he is now and where he awaits till the day that he can return and rule and reign here on earth. We serve a God who is ready and willing to be gracious and to be merciful and to give the kindness 
that he has to us. How amazing of a God that it is that we have that would do that for us. But Paul doesn't end there. He keeps going. He wants to make sure and hammer this point home. Let's look through verses 8 through 10. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. Not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Paul makes sure in verse 8 and says, For you are saved by grace through faith. He makes it clear how it is that salvation comes. It's not by anything that we do. It's not by our actions. It's not by who we were born to, what family we were raised in, what we ended up doing with our life. He said it's by grace. That God himself would be gracious to us. He would gift us something that we didn't deserve. And that in this gift, he gives us life. Flipping that script of while we were dead in our trespasses, we were dead before. Now God has gifted us graciously life in Christ. How much love is that to flip that script? To instead give us the life that we were not able to have, which only comes from God. But he makes sure and says, this is not from your, yourselves. It is God's gift. This is nothing that you did. It is God's free gift to us that he has sent his son to die on the cross for us. He has gifted that to us so that we can receive this gift and be in relationship with him to have this life that only God provides. Paul likes to hammer in on verse 9. Again, he says, Not from works, so that no one can boast. He makes it sure that it's nothing that we can do in this work of salvation, but it is God. And he says, and that this is why salvation is the way it is, is so that you can't boast about who you are in Christ. But rather that if you were to boast, as Paul says many times in his letters, Boast in Christ. If you're going to celebrate something about that you're doing, boast in Christ. Because he is the one who gave you life. He is the one that gives you the good to do. And that it is through Christ alone that we have this. So, it's not for us to consider. I'll tell you a little bit about me. Some of you probably heard some of my story but whenever I was, I grew up in a Christian home all of my life and came to faith around the age eight. And from there, I lived my life like a good Christian boy would, right? Not doing the things I'm not supposed to do and making sure not being around the people who do those things I'm not supposed to do. Doing all of those things. Getting to high school, I got a little lazy in my faith, to be honest. I was acceptant of who I was. I knew Christ and I knew his work, but I just was okay with that. And I kind of found myself in a slump. But then come to college age, 
in those years, I really found Christ again. And not just that I found him as in that I lost that relationship, but I found the passion and the desire and for doing what it is that Christ has wanted me to do, to follow him, not as just Savior of my life, but also Lord of my life. And I really kind of leaned into that. But during the last years of college was actually a pretty rough time for me. So for those of you who may not know, I was going to be an orthopedic surgeon. So I had pretty high dreams, right? So that was my goal. I wanted to be this orthopedic surgeon. I wanted to do good for God, but in, in the way that I wanted to. And I wanted to make a little bit of money. Let's not lie. But that was my, my goal, my dream. That's what I wanted to do since I was a little kid is I wanted to do medicine, and I loved sports, and they came together in this moment. And I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. But in the last years of my time, God was calling me a different direction. God was saying, hey, I think I want you to do ministry. And then it was like, hey, I know I want, I want you to do ministry. Hey, you need to do ministry. And so like a good Christian, what did I do? I said, I'll pray about it. No, I'll deal with that later. <laughs> I did. I tabled it. I was like, okay, okay, I hear you, God. But maybe I can do it as like a side capacity. Maybe I'll, like, I'll keep helping with the youth. I'll keep helping with the kids. But I'm going to keep doing what I want to do. The dream that I'd had forever. And this was a time of absolute struggle for me. I just had a weight put on me. But one of the biggest struggles that I had was not just kind of going against what God was wanting me to do, but is that I didn't think I was good enough. I remember sitting there thinking, well, God, why are you calling me to ministry? I'm not, you know, the eloquent preacher. I'm not the, you know, devoted Bible scholar. I'm not the, you know, theologian that knows it all. I, I, I had just come to like, okay, I will follow you, and I know what it means to follow you, and I'm in on telling people about you, but like, I'm not that guy. I'm not like that preacher. I'm not like those pastors. I'm just a dude that wants to go to medical school. And I struggled so much with not believing that I was good enough for ministry. I'm sitting there thinking, well, God, if you just know the way that I think, or if you just, the things that I have, have done, or how lazy I can be about certain things, well, then you wouldn't want me. You wouldn't choose me. I was definitely not a first-round draft pick when it came to those in ministry. But God persisted. And why? And that was what I struggled with, is why are you choosing me? For ministry. And I had a great moment talking with a, a pastor who just basically said, look, God doesn't call the equipped. God equips the called. And that was a big changing point for me because I realized it wasn't about me. It actually is all about God. And if you look back through the Bible, God uses so many people who are inadequate. He uses people like Moses. He uses people like Aaron. He uses people like David, who sinned in some great ways. He uses the people who weren't good enough because that's the God that we have. He's the one who says, you're not good enough? Perfect. It's I'm who's good enough. I'm going to use that. And that was a changing point for me 
And this is a big point of this text. When we think about the idea of, are we good enough? No. We're not good enough to be used by God. But that doesn't matter because God chose to use us by his grace. So we are able to do his work, not because of something that we have done, not because we are prepared or we're called or we're ready, but because God has said, I would like to use you. And why? For his glory. So that we can't boast about it, but so that we can then boast to others about God. Because he's the one that's doing all the work. He's the one who's doing all of this. Because we are his workmanship in Christ. We have been crafted with our new selves in Christ for the good works that he's given us. Look to Ephesians 4, chapter 22 through 24. He'll later on talk about this and he'll say, take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of truth. Paul goes on in this book to talk about this and saying, take off that old self and put on the new self that God is forming in us, that this work of sanctification is this new self, that we continue to, not ourselves, get better, but look to God to conform us to Christ. And in this, we're prepared for good works. Now, in James 2, 17, James talks about this and says, in the same way, faith if it does not have works, is dead by itself. Now, these two things seem a little counter at first, right? Paul's talking about it's by, you know, by no works and only by faith. And James over here talking about if you don't have works, then there's no real faith. But they're not counter to each other, but instead they actually are talking about the same thing on two different sides. Paul is talking about here that to come to faith is not of your own, but it is through Christ alone. But James is saying, a true follower of Christ doesn't do nothing. A true follower of Christ doesn't just sit around and do nothing with what they've been given. But instead, as Paul says here, we are his workmanship created in Christ for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. See, these good works for us are not something that we can just blow off because they don't save us. But rather, it is in saving us, God is giving us the ability to do his work in the kingdom. And this work can look in many different ways. This can be simple by loving others. We are commanded by him to love one another. And that can look in many different ways, whether that's through your family, through the church, through the community, or through those that maybe are less fortunate. We're called to love others. These are the good works that God has prepared us to do. They don't do anything for our salvation because that's Christ alone. But yet, we're called to do these things. Furthermore, beyond that, we're actually called to share this great hope that we've been talking about today with those around us. 
We're called to do that. We're called to share with others that while there might be no hope in this world, Christ is the hope that we need and that they can have. To be in relationship with God, to have life, have life to its fullest. Not just here, but also in relationship with God forever. See, this is what we are able to do. And these good works are so that we share that with others. That we go out and we tell others about Christ. And that can be as simple as starting in the home. Sharing it with your family. Making sure your family knows. Or here in the church. That's what we do here at church is we share with others what Christ has done for us. We come here and we celebrate in song, worship, and fellowship that Christ has saved us by grace through faith. And we tell that to one another every week. So we remind ourselves of how good our God is. But we should also take that outside of these doors. Take it to Katie's. Tell them how much God loves them. He would die on the cross for them. He raised to life to defeat sin and defeat death. Our faith doesn't stop with us. But instead, what God has done in us should go out to others. Because it's the work of him to save others. But he's enlisted us to say, hey, I want y'all's help. I want y'all's help for the gospel. So let's conclude with this. I've got three different people in mind that I want to talk to. First, to those of you who don't know Christ, who don't have a relationship with him, I plead with you to come to get to know him because there is no hope outside of Christ. But yet he has given us life in him. And if you need to know, come talk to anyone. Come talk to me. Come talk to Matt. Come talk to anyone here. They'd be so glad to tell you about what God has done in their lives and how they have life in him. Don't be afraid of that. But to those of you believers who thought that you were never good enough from earlier from the question, that you thought, oh, I'm never good enough. You know, I'm going to leave that to the professionals. To you, I'd say, we may not be good enough, and we are not good enough. But God has renewed us in Jesus so that by grace, through faith, we can do the works that he has set before us. It's not you that is good enough, but yet it is God who is so good that he will use you. So step into that faith. Step into that. You already hold to who Christ is. Show it. Do the work. Start to step into what God has for you, even if it's scary, even if it's something that doesn't seem like you can do, if God's calling you to it, step in, because he will equip you as you're going, not necessarily before you go. To those of you that were real confident about being the, the MVP of the team, let me remind you that your salvation is by grace through faith and is not your own good works so that you may not boast. As, as you may be doing good things, it's not you who are doing them, but it is Christ who is doing them through you. So instead, direct that away and say, God, God's the one that's doing this all. Don't boast in yourself for what God is doing, but boast in Christ for what God is doing in you. And for all of us, 
I just want us to remember. God has not asked us to be successful in life or ministry. But instead, he's called us to be faithful to him in all that we do. Because of all that he has done for us. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this day. I just thank you for who you are. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for us, to be raised to life so that we can have life in him. Thank you for that. God, I pray that we will truly believe this. And instead in doing that, act out that way. That we will look to you for all that we do. And I just thank you for all the things you have done for us. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Let's respond with our thank you. We're going to sing the chorus and the bridge a couple times in the chorus. spoke to us through Nick. What a comfort. What a comfort it is to not have to have that responsibility that whatever God's ministry he gives to us, it's it's authored by him. It's not something that we can do on our own, but he's already authored it. Our job is to willingly trust him with the good works that he planned for us long ago. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you.